listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. What a wonderful time of worship that we have had and celebrating music and just seeing all that God is doing. Do you realize that God, the mission is continuing here at Central and we are way more than a building and you know, as we say this almost every Sunday here, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And we think about the mission continuing here in, in our area, but we also want to think about the mission around the world. You know, right now we're in the season of Ramadan, and that's a 30-day season where Muslims around the world have fasting. Uh, there's normally a lot of other things that take place, but because of COVID-19, there have been some changes but I want you to understand that we have partners all around the world, but especially in North Africa, Middle East, that we support and we are partnering with. And, and they're going through Ramadan, and it's always a very tough season, uh, a lot of spiritual warfare. So I want to encourage you. We're going to pray here in a second, but I want you to be praying for all of our pers- per- personnel around the world that are sharing the love of Jesus, especially to Muslims. And let's take just a time right now and pray for them. Father in heaven, we pray for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, but especially those in North Africa, Middle East, who are preaching the gospel during Ramadan. And on top of that, COVID-19 has really changed the dynamic of a lot of things with, with tensions maybe rising. So Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move, that God, you would give dreams and visions, that you would open the blind eyes of those who need your gospel. We pray, God, that you would protect our personnel around the world, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 is where we are. We're continuing our series of Jesus Skeptics. In a couple weeks, we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Esther called Unseen, and I can't wait for us to go through that. But as we are here in Mark chapter 12, we're going to read kind of a, a very interesting story. So let's, let's go ahead and look in Mark chapter 12 and verse 18. The Bible says, And the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, that man must take the widow and raise up the offspring for his brother. There there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses and the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are quite wrong. Do you believe in life after death? Surveys and studies have shown that most Americans do. About 80% of Americans say they absolutely believe that there's life after death. 9% say maybe, and the other 11% are just unsure. The other night I was talking with my kids in our normal kind of time at the end of the day, and we were talking about heaven. 
And, and my son Andrew came up to me and he said, Dad, what am I going to look like in heaven? And I said, well, you're going to be the perfect version of you that God created you to be. And he looked at me and he says, I don't know what that means, but how old will I be? And I said, I don't know. He said, Dad, will I be eight years old in heaven? I said, no, I don't think so. And he says, well, how old are you going to be? I said, I don't know. And then he looked at me and he said, Dad, well, what do you know? Don't you have a doctorate? You're supposed to know this stuff. And I said, all I know is what the Bible says. You know, and that's really all that we have when it comes to heaven or hell and the end of the world. It's all what the Word of God says. And during this COVID-19 pandemic, we've heard a lot of people uh, talk about sickness and talk about death. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of panic that has just really gripped our nation. If you don't believe me, just watch television just for a few moments and you'll see that our world is really turned upside down and a lot of people are afraid. And you know, with that comes a lot of questions because as death has kind of stared us in the face with this pandemic, we're, we're, we're kind of maybe having some questions. Well, what happens when you die? Do you go to heaven? Is heaven really for real? And how can I know that I'm going to heaven? Well, these are big questions that maybe some of you even have some skeptical thoughts about. Well, this, this message this morning is about addressing those particular questions that you have. In Mark 11 through 12, Jesus is going through a series of hard questions that were actually meant to trap him. He had spoken to the Pharisees, to the scribes, and now he's going to speak to the Sadducees. He, he is engaging them at their level. But, but the one thing I love about Jesus is that Jesus never dodges a hard question. You know, there's some people in the church that they don't like tough questions. And so if you ever ask them a question, they say, don't ask, just believe. Well, that's not Jesus. Jesus, when he responds to tough questions, gets to the very heart of the questioner to really address their deep issues. And so what I want you to see is that in this message, Jesus is going to get a hypothetical question about heaven that had no answer. And he's going to respond with a powerful answer from heaven that will leave no questions. And so let's continue. We will look at those two things, the hypothetical question with no answer and the powerful answer with no questions. Let's look at the first one, the hypothetical question with no answer. In verse 18, the Bible says that the Sadducees came to him. Now you may be asking, who are the Sadducees? Well, in Israel at this time, there were about four kind of major political slash religious groups. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and the Essenes. The, the kind of the two well-known are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were kind of like the Republicans and the Democrats. The Pharisees were very theologically conservative. They were very legalistic. Their motto was, make Israel good again. They were a part of the working class people. They weren't very rich. They were very popular among the working class. Now the Sadducees, on the other hand, they were rich. They were politically connected. They, they actually, the Sadducees were the majority of the Sanhedrin. They, they were the ones that oversaw the temple in Jerusalem. And they were kind of known to be very theologically liberal, somewhat secular. They were kind of the sophisticated elites in Israel. And so they come to Jesus and they, the, the, the writer here, Mark, wants us to know that they say there is no resurrection. So they didn't believe in a resurrection. They, they only believed in the Torah, which is the first five books, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those were the writings of Moses as being authoritative. They didn't believe in angels or demons. They denied that there was any kind of afterlife, and they denied that there was any kind of resurrection. That's why they are sad 
you see. They don't believe in heaven. And Josephus Flavius says that the doctrine of the Sadducees is this, the soul dies with the body. And so they're opposed to Jesus, just like the Pharisees, namely because Jesus was interfering with their power and influence in society. So they come to Jesus to try to trap Jesus. They come kind of with a mental war, war plan here because both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were sworn enemies, they hated each other. But in this situation, they came together to be against Jesus. There's actually an Israeli saying that says this, the enemy of my enemy is my best friend. And so they come together and the Sadducees ask a question. And this question is based on the law of Moses. It's based on a principle called Leverite or Leverite marriage, which that comes from the Latin, which means brother-in-law marriage. It finds its roots in Genesis 28 in the book of Ruth and in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And here's what that law says, that if a man is married to a woman and he dies and they don't have any children in that marriage and there are no children to carry on that man's name and to pass that land of the family to that next generation, then the brother of that man would take the place and marry that woman. The children that would come from that marriage would carry on the deceased man's name and those children would inherit the deceased man's land. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are like, I am so glad that law doesn't exist. You don't want to marry your sister-in-law. I get that. And some of you sister-in-laws, you don't want to marry your brother-in-law. I get it. Well, here, these Sadducees come with a hypothetical story. It is, it is crazy. And the story goes like this, that there's a woman who marries a guy and her husband dies. They don't have any kids. So, according to the law of Moses, she's to marry the next in line. And so she marries brother number two. Brother number two, they get married. Guess what happens? He dies. They don't have any kids. Then brother number three, he dies, no kids. Four, all the way to seven. Could you imagine what it would have been like to have been number seven? This is the ultimate black widow. After number seven dies, the story goes, then the woman dies. This is the kiss of death. And so the question was this in verse 23. In the resurrection, when they rise, Jesus, whose wife is this woman going to be? In their minds, they're like, gotcha, Jesus. Uh, surprise, you're on candid camera. Uh, riddle me this, Jesus. They're probably very proud of themselves. They're like, Jesus, you believe in this so-called resurrection. You believe in this so-called afterlife. Well, how does it work out in this case? You know, this woman has had seven husbands. Who's going to be her husband in heaven? Now, when I wasn't married, I thought this was a very silly question. Then I got married and I thought, you know what, maybe this is actually a pretty big question. You know, what happens if something happened to me? You know, what if I get killed on the way home today and, and April, who's a very good looking woman, yes, she has three kids, but she is gorgeous. When I'm dead and gone, guess what's going to happen? Somebody out there is going to snatch her up. And so I get this Sadducees question. So like when we get to heaven, it's probably going to be awkward. Like I see, I see April there and she's with some dude. I'm going to say like, hey, who's that? It's going to be very awkward. Well, in this story, it happened seven times. So this is a very personal story. These Sadducees, here's the interesting thing about them. These Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection that they asked Jesus about. Jesus is clearly taught multiple times that he believed in the doctrine of resurrection. He believed in the afterlife. They didn't like that. So what they wanted in this moment is they wanted to see how Jesus would defend himself with that question. Think about this. 
they were asking a question that they didn't believe in to get an answer that they would never accept. Does that sound familiar? A lot of skeptics do that. You know, I've, I've talked to quite a few people that have a lot of questions and, and are agnostic, and, and they'll ask questions that have really no answers. Or ask, they'll ask very ridiculous questions just to watch believers squirm. You know, one, one question that, that I've actually got uh, is this, is that can God make a rock so big that He can't lift it? Now, what kind of question is that? Well, it's a very philosophical question. It's a game. Because here's the thought. If God could build a rock that He couldn't lift, then He's not all-powerful. But if He can't build a rock that He couldn't lift, then He's also not powerful. Do you see this? It's just a game. The people that ask those questions don't believe that God is powerful at all, and they want to make you try to prove it. They put the burden of proof on you. I've spoken to skeptical people, and they'll ask these type of questions. And the reason they do that is they're looking for inconsistencies so that they can exploit. The funny thing when I've talked to all of them is that they, most of them are, are, don't really look at their own belief systems and don't look at their own inconsistencies. And so what I found is that many people have their little area that they disagree with about Christianity or, or with the Bible, and they'll ask a question. Often it'll be about some sort of secondary issue. Well, these Sadducees come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, answer me this. And here's what they were saying with this question. They were saying this to Jesus. Jesus, I won't submit to you as God unless you answer this question in a way that I want you to answer it. That's the way a lot of skeptics are. See, they thought that it was ridiculous for anyone in their right mind to believe in a resurrection, let alone an afterlife. And so any answer that Jesus gave them that had any kind of belief in a resurrection would be something that they would never accept. People do this game today. People do this in, in other issues, not just about the afterlife. They do it in issues of morality or judgment or sexuality or suffering. And here's what people will say. You know, I can't believe in a God that would do this. I can't believe in a God that would make you do this or would say that it's wrong to do that. And so what often people that are skeptical do is they use those issues that they're against, that they don't like, as their justification for not believing in God. Bart Ehrman, who is a professor at the University of North Carolina, who I was introduced uh, to in his writings when I went to the University of Kentucky, the greatest school on the face of the earth. Here's what he said. He is an agnostic. He used to be a Christian. And here's what he said. He says, I will only believe if God Almighty appeared to me and gave me an explanation for all the evil in the world. And that explanation was so overpowering that I actually could understand, then I would be the first to fall on my knees in humble submission and admiration. He says, listen, if God comes to me, answers a question in a way that I can understand, that I actually maybe like and, under and get, then I'll worship Him. In other words, God, you got to fit in my box. you got to do things the way I think you should do it. And if you don't, I'm not going to submit. And that's where these Sadducees were. They were asking a question that they knew had no real answer, and even whatever answer they got, they would never believe. And there's where people are, and maybe that's where some of you are. Well, here we see that there's going to be a powerful answer that Jesus gives that has no question. In verse 24, Jesus is going to now respond. I love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? Everybody should love Jesus. Jesus looks at them, and He doesn't really address what they say. He just says, is this not the reason that you are wrong? If you were watching a Seinfeld episode, it would be no soup for you. 
Basically, his thesis and his conclusion were the same. You are wrong. You are quite wrong. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't play their mind game. He says the reason why you're wrong is is that the question is, is ridiculous because you are making assumptions that aren't true. Now, why were they wrong? Well, Jesus tells them why they're wrong in verse 24. Is this not the reason that you're wrong? Why? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. The reason why they were wrong with this question is that they asked a question that was just, honestly, I'm going to use this word, stupid, because they didn't know their Bibles and they had no clue about the true transformative power of God. They were ignorant. Now, what they claimed to know the most, they actually knew the least. Here Jesus says, essentially, you are wrong because you don't know the Bible and you don't know the power of God. Listen, you know what I think we need as a church? We need to know the Scriptures and we need to know the power of God. And and, and in other words, we need to have in our hearts a big God and an open Bible. Well, here they had a small God and they had a closed Bible. And so in verse 25, Jesus continues to deconstruct their crazy question. He says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given into marriage. Jesus takes this hypothetical and says, You know what, boys? That's a funny story. But in heaven, you're not married. You have hidden assumptions. See, they assume that everything on earth continued on in heaven. They assume that the family would be the center of the resurrected life. They thought that the reason that anybody would ever believe in heaven is so that you can go be with your family for eternity. Uh, I've spoken to people. I've actually been in Salt Lake City and spoken to Mormons. And and, and one of the things I've actually heard is, is they say, listen, believe in what we believe and you can live with your family forever. But listen, that's not what heaven is all about. Jesus here is talking about the transformative power of God. That when you go to heaven, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And the new heaven and the new earth will be like what it was, but it's not going to be identical. It's going to be much better. Jesus says that in heaven, we're going to be like the angels in heaven. Angels don't have spouses. Angels don't have kids. And here's what I want you to understand. Because some of you, maybe this is disheartening. The love and joy that even the best marriages and the best family experiences on earth can be pale in comparison for what is to come. Any good experience you have with your family, any good experience you have in your marriage is a shadow. The Bible teaches all throughout that marriage, all marriages, are temporary in light of eternity. Now, as you're hearing me say this, maybe one of two thoughts is coming to your mind. Maybe right now you're sitting next to your husband and your wife, or your wife and you grab them by the hand and you say, Baby... I want to be with you for all eternity. Or maybe some of you in your mind are saying, this is the best news I've heard all day. Freedom! Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus is teaching us this, that no one in heaven is going to say, man, I wish I was married. When you're in heaven, here's what you're going to say. Wow, what an awesome and great God we have. One of the thoughts I want to ask you right now is that what do you long for most in heaven? Somebody put it this way. If you, could, if you could have heaven with all the chocolate and none of the calories, if you could have heaven with all the pizza but none of the heartburn, if you could have heaven with all your family there, or at least the ones you like, 
all your friends, watch any movie you want, read all of your favorite books, go to the beach, go swimming, have all of that, but no Jesus. Would that be a good deal? Well, I would say it wouldn't be a good deal because that wouldn't be heaven. That would actually be hell. Jesus is now going to turn to Scripture in verse 26. He points them to the Torah, the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 6. Actually, four times in chapter 3 and 4, this phrase will be there. That's why Jesus calls it the book of Moses. He goes to where they were. And he says that, does it not say that God spoke and said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, God here is speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. And at that time that God speaks to Moses, all three of those men were dead, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as God speaks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's not in the past tense, it's in the present tense. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham. He says, I am the God of Abraham. In other words, they are alive. Jesus himself believed that they were alive in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Hear the words of Jesus. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at my table, or recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' mind, they're still alive. Now, I think this would be a great moment to give you some clarity. The Sadducees believed that when you died, you're dead forever. Their thought was, you're like Rover, you're dead all over. They were annihilationists. Jesus and the Pharisees of that day and the Jewish thought of that day, the predominant Jewish Orthodox thought was this, that if you die, if you're a believer, then there are two stages. The first stage is the intermediate state. That is, when you die and you're a believer, you are alive. You're alive with God. You are in paradise. You are with Him. Paul would say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then the second stage is called the resurrection, the final resurrection. This is when all those who have died, believers, will be given a new body and there will be a new cosmos. There will be a new world. And so, with that being said, when Jesus says that God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead, when He says that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, here's what He's saying. That if God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then they were. But if God is, then they are. This is an argument based on a verb tense. God's promises to Abraham were not just earthly, that were only good while you were alive on earth, and when you die, they're null and void. God's promises to Abraham were eternal. So, Abraham is not dead, he's alive. And he's waiting like the rest of those who are believers for that final resurrection day. But I want to drive the point a little bit further. Because when you read the original Hebrew in Exodus 3 and 4, there actually is no verb. When, when we're given the, the name of God, I am, Yahweh, when we're given that, there, there is no verb. We put the verb in there. So it's not so much that Jesus is hanging everything on a verb tense. But there's something a little bit deeper. And you see this a little bit deeper when you read verse 27 in which Jesus says that God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Now, stay with me. When God says, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob, I'm the God of Alan, to be someone's God, by definition, 
is to be their helper, to, to be their helper, to be their deliverer, and to be their savior. To be someone's God means that if you are truly their God, they are not dead. Because God cannot watch over them and bless them and keep them and fulfill His promises to them and deliver them and save them if they're dead. Therefore, God cannot be, by definition, the God of the dead. If He is the God of the dead, He is not God. See, God would not put His name on people who are dead and gone forever, never to be alive again. God is the living God, the everlasting God, who enters into an eternal promise with His people, those who trust in Him. See, in Exodus 3 and 4, God says to Moses, I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This phrase is given to Moses at least four times. You want to know why? It was given to assure Moses that just as God was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God was going to be with him. That God, just as He delivered them, He is going to deliver him, and He's going to save His people. That name, I am, is assurance that God will be, He will be with you, and He will take care of you from now into eternity. And so right now, Jesus is saying in this text, and even what was going on in Exodus, is that even now, God is their God, because they are alive. God is saying, I am the promise-keeping God. See, if those people are dead and never to be seen again, then God's promises had failed. His promise to Abraham is that you are going to be a blessing, that from you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And this is an eternal promise. And so the question you, you would have to ask is that how could a promise-keeping God take care of people when they are alive, but abandon them when they are dead? Or in other words, how could death be the last chapter in God's people's history? See, when we read this, I am the God of, He is saying, I am the God who keeps my promises in life, and in death. Christianity is not some transaction with God where you believe in some good things and God gives you heaven. It's not like, I've got a little faith, you've got eternity, I'll give you some faith, you give me some eternity, we're good. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a covenant relationship. It is a relationship built on promises. The promises of God. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes in him that sent me has eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but when he dies shall be passed into life. The promises of God are yes and amen found in Jesus, that neither height nor depth nor things present nor things to come nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. The promises of God are this, that if God is your God, then even death cannot destroy your relationship with Him. See, the Sadducees thought that the marriage relationship was the one relationship that would be eternal and would never change. But Jesus says, no, the relationship that never will change is the one that I have with my people. That's why there's no marriage in heaven, because there's no need for marriage in heaven, because we are with the Lord. And when there is a marriage in heaven, it is with 
The bridegroom, Jesus, and the bride, His church. And when Jesus said that, it silenced them. You know, in marriage, we say, normally most of the time, till death do we part. And when we say that, we go on and we live with our spouses, hopefully for many, many years. But you know, in Christianity, here's what we really say. In death, we never depart. We are with the Lord forever and ever. Death is not the end if you are a believer. It's just the end of the beginning. And that story of your life with the Lord goes on for eternity. And every chapter in that story is better than the chapter before. And it's sweeter as the days go by. That's what heaven's all about. So the question maybe you have right now is that how can I know this is true? How can I know that Jesus knows what He's talking about? Well, here's the answer. The answer is this, is that Jesus came from heaven to earth so that one day He could bring us from earth to heaven. The only way that you and I could ever go to heaven is, is through Jesus making that possible. Jesus died on the cross. He took the penalty for our sins and He tasted death for all of us so that we no longer have to be afraid of death. And He delivers and saves all who put their trust in Him, all who commit their life to Him, all who, who love Him and surrender their lives to Him. When they believe in Him, when you believe in Him, you never die, you live. That's why we can say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. Listen, your grandmother, your spouse, your friend, your child that has trusted in Jesus but has died, they're alive. Those who die in Christ, live because God is there. And one day, we will be raised again in the resurrection. How do we know? Because Jesus rose from the dead. A couple of years ago, there was a man that was in our church. His name was Dexter Pharaoh. Dexter was a good man. He actually had been coming to this church for years, but he never came to a place where he trusted Jesus as his Savior. And then he did. He gave his life to Jesus. And he was baptized. Not too long after that, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I remember seeing him about a week before he passed away. And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, he says, I'm so thankful that Jesus is in my life. I'm, I'm not worried, but, but I do have some questions. What, what is it going to be like to die? What is it going to be like? And I read to him Psalm 23, verse 4 where David said this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I told him, do you see that? Death is just a shadow. If you are a Christian, it's just a shadow. It can't hurt you. Because when you die here, you go and be with Him for eternity. So here's how I want to end. My hope is this is that you have come to that place in your life where you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, where you've given Him your life, you've committed your life to Him. And I want to really encourage you to stop playing games. Stop trying to be close to Jesus. Stop trying to be a good person and give your life to Him. As I said last week, if you, if you were with us, jump out of the plane and hold on to the parachute of Jesus. Some of you, you need to do that. You need to jump out in faith and trust Jesus. And it's not the strength of your faith. It's the strength of your God. And Jesus can sustain whatever 
you put in His way. Give your life to Him. Enter in a relationship with Him. If you are a believer, praise God. Because heaven awaits and it is not death to die. So what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity. If you'd love to trust Jesus as your Savior right now to ask Him to save you. I'm going to pray, and while I'm praying, you can just talk to God. Be honest with Him. We've had many people do it actually this week. Give their life to Jesus, and you can too. Would you pray with me right now? Father God, I thank You for this opportunity to share Your good news that whoever believes in You shall never die. And God, I pray right now for that person listening to me that right now their heart is pounding deep in their chest and they're beginning to get just thinking of all the things in their life. And and maybe, God, right now you are saying, trust in me. So, Lord, I ask that they would pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins right now and that you save me. I trust in you. I may not understand it all, but I trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed to trust Jesus as your Savior for the first time today, or if you've committed your life to Him, we want to hear about it. There's a number that's going to go on your screen. It's 407-338-4024. And what I want you to do is take your phone out, and I want you to text that number. And if you just gave your life to Jesus, I want you just to type your name in there and say, I gave my life to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you want to be baptized. You say, I I want to take that next step. I've trusted Jesus. I want to publicly say, I'm a Christian. And so you just put your name and say, I want to be baptized. Or maybe you have a prayer request that we can pray for. You just type your name in and share a prayer request. Or maybe there's something that we can do to help you. Maybe there's someone you need to talk to. Just put your name and say, I need to talk to somebody. When you do send that message in, you're going to get a response and that may send you to another place to give us a little bit more information. But our hope is, is that by the end of the day, you're going to hear from us very soon. We're going to pray with you, we're going to pray for you, and we're going to help you. So I'm so excited about what God's going to do today. I'm praying for you. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.